You had hoped it wouldn't be this week. Not against the Cardinals. Well, it was this week. Joe Burrow is back to being Joe Burrow at the Cardinals' expense. Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me after making his debut as a color analyst, so we got to give Paulie his props under very difficult circumstances. Then it's on to analyzing the game, a 34-20 loss that felt much worse. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 683, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Buda Baker, what heart, what threat. This guy's unbelievable. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again. Some more Murray magic. Wow. Here's Craig Grealoux. Want to start the show, Paul, by extending our condolences to our friend, our colleague, Ron Wolfley. His younger brother, Dale, passed away suddenly on Saturday night. That's why Wolf was not at the game and why you joined Dave Pash up in the booth for the broadcast. Our thoughts are with Wolf and the entire Wolfley family. Yeah, well said. And it was a, uh, it was a day on Sunday. It was a tragic day. You never want to ever be in that situation where you have to fill in for one of our longtime colleagues and really good friends and for him to lose his younger brother suddenly like that uh, someone I've known since the late 90s who Wolf and his older brother Craig affectionately refer to as soda pop from the movie The Outsiders that's how they fashion themselves as those three brothers they're really tight a few months ago, it was during the offseason, they have the Wolfley Brothers podcast that Dale would run, and uh, I, I joined them uh, during a weekend in April or May, and I was the first one into the Zoom, and so I got to reconnect with Dale, and not only was Dale a standout player at West Virginia and part of the broadcast team over the last decade, but he's a big dude. He's former offensive lineman, and his early days, his younger days, he was a bodyguard for Prince he was a bodyguard for Michael Bolton. He was a bodyguard for someone else. Wolf will give you all the details, but Dale was a bad man. Very large, very skilled. He was MMA and black belt before that was all the rage. And yeah, he was entrusted by some of the biggest celebrities in music to be their bodyguard. So it's, uh, and then we got to see him. I saw him in person at the Greenbrier. We went years yep. ago to Greenbrier and then went into Morgantown. And so uh, all the best to everyone in the Wolfley family. No closer brothers than the Wolfley brothers, Craig, Ron, and Dale. We're thinking about you, Wolf, and hope to see you soon. When that is, who knows, but do what you need to do to take care of yourself and your family first and foremost. And I told you before we started here on Cardinals Cover 2, Paul, that considering the circumstances and last minute tap on that shoulder that next man up mentality I thought you performed exceptionally I enjoyed listening to you and Pash and again it's a different analyst hat a different view but I thought you performed very very well in that booth sitting next to Dave Pash. No, I appreciate that. I, I really do. I genuinely appreciate that. Uh, there was definitely a level of trepidation. Never. For everything we've all done in this business, all right? And what are we these days? We're multimedia content providers. You have to do a little bit of everything on all fronts. Never, ever did I think I would be sitting in an analyst chair calling an NFL game. And, and look, I didn't analyze the game, but hopefully 
tried to bring some of the storylines and some of what was being said in the locker room by all the players and, and try and you know, forecast, okay, what might happen next, what did just happen, and according to the players, you know, not that Dave Pash really needed me, to be honest with you. Dave could just call the entire top five play-by-play man on the planet. It is amazing to sit next to Dave Pash and watch him work. He is a maestro, not only not only in, in knowing and recognizing all the names and the yard lines and the officials' calls, but you know, able to put everything in perspective and give the storylines and be flawless behind the mic and generate the excitement in the game and the crescendos he reaches in his calls. He is truly a master at his craft. And, and that's something I never thought I'd get a chance to do, sit next to Dave Passion, watch him work in person because I'm always down in the sideline. So it, it was an experience, and let's hope that uh, I'm never in that chair again and that Wolf is back with us as soon as possible. Well, you mentioned thinking about what you anticipate happening when you talk to everyone, you listen, you read, and what was our concern, our question going into this Week 5 matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals was Joe Burrow. Is this going to be the week? And you hoped it would not be at the Cardinals' expense and it did come at the Cardinals' expense. Joe Burrow, maybe not completely healthy, but certainly over whatever was ailing him as far as that calf issue because he was a lot more mobile. And you saw what we all anticipated seeing from the Bengals this season. 34-20 to and Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase, outstanding. The Cardinals had no answers at all the entire game on stopping Chase, and Burrow beat the Cardinals a lot extra time in the pocket, and being able to find number one whenever he basically wanted to. There were a few seconds left in the third quarter. First and ten, Bengals in their own territory, and Joe Burrow takes off running for a first down. And you're like, okay, all righty, Joey Sandbagger. And I sit on the air, obviously he was sandbagging based on what he told the media midweek when he said, a big part of my game in the past has been sealing first downs with my legs, depending on the situation in the defense. I haven't been able to do that. Well, that was past tense, what he told the media. Maybe he knew at that moment he had turned a quarter corner because he certainly looked like it. I mean, the Bengals' Twitter account put out Joey Wheels. So everything you thought, maybe, that he was ailing and ailing going into the game and he's going to be a sitting duck and an immovable, you know, a Tom Brady at the end of his career, a Peyton Manning, oh, if he's either going to get rid of it quickly or just go down. Obviously, that didn't happen. Bought time on the first touchdown pass. So uh, I know off the top of the broadcast, we talked about how the 1-3 and three Bengals were this year's evidence of the old Wall Street axiom that past performance does not guarantee future results. And we had a little bit of fun at the Bengals' expense. Well, guess what? A year ago, they started 0-2 and ripped off 12 out of 14, and they looked like that team again. Burrow completed his first 10 pass attempts, was 36 of 46 for 317 yards, three touchdowns, all to Jamar Chase, who, again, you go back to comments that were made after week four, heading into week five, and that viral video of Jamar Chase talking about, quote, I'm open. I'm always bleeping open. And yes, he was open. Paul, he was targeted. A total of 19 times. Wow. Chase set a season-high 192 receiving yards, a single franchise game record with 15 catches, and tied his career high with three touchdowns. And that was, that was, I mean, again, if you're a fan of football, it was fun to watch. If you're a Cardinals fan, very, very 
frustrating. And look, he had the 63-yarder, obviously, and that was a big turning point in the game, how you end a half, how you start the second half, and the Bengals won both cases. They had to pick six before half, then they had the 63-yard strike coming out of the halftime locker room on the third play of the third quarter. I get it, but beyond that, what we talked about in the broadcast was Joe Burrow was just taking what the defense was giving him, and how many times was there a 10-plus-yard cushion on Jamar Chase, and you saw Joe Burrow immediately look towards number one as his number one read, and if the cushion was there, the ball was there. He just went straight at Jamar Chase, and so whereas I think we had an expectation going into the game that there would be double coverage on Jamar Chase, that there would be press man coverage in his face, or at least a bracket over the top, and someone in the flat, uh, and try that didn't happen a lot of the game, and Joe Burrow said okay, and Maybe the Cardinals dared him to put together 10, 12, 15 play drives, and we know the degree of difficulty in the NFL, but it's Joe Burrow, and since he looked like the highest-paid player in the game, at least physically again for the most part, yeah, he executed. Saw a lot of Marco Wilson traveling with Jamar Chase, and when I say traveling, meaning traveling behind. He was chasing Chase all game long, and it did not look good, especially the two touchdowns, the two shorter touchdowns, Wilson was spun around the back of the end zone on one. And then the second one, he and Jalen Thompson were kind of chasing towards the near corner of the end zone, at least from our vantage point in press box. And it just, again, the difference is do you have the ability to, one, cover, but also rush the quarterback? And, yeah, there were three sacks, but Burrow was able to buy time in the pocket, elude the rush, a lot more mobile than I think we all anticipated him being. And if you're asking a corner, even the best corners in the game, to cover a split second longer, a full second, a second and a half longer, any quarterback is going to beat that defense. And I think we saw a lot of that on Sunday. Totally agree. There were too many times where Joe Burrow had too much time. That final, that third touchdown pass, how many seconds did he have in the pocket? And he's sort of moving to his right, just waiting, just anticipating that eventually Jamar Chase is going to get open. Sure enough, he did back of the end zone. You know, to your point, you can go in and you can say, okay, we're going to take away their top receiver. How many teams did that over 15 years of Larry Fitzgerald? And how successful was that? Jamar Chase isn't the same body type, but he's the same sort of receiver in that he's great at the point of attack. And that's what the DB said going into the game, that you have your Justin Jeffersons, you have your Jamar Chases, the young guys of this generation really fight you at the ball. So you might have coverage. You're not going to come away with a pass defense. You're not even going to break up the completion. That, that's how sure-handed Jamar Chase is, how competitive he is. And so he made catches in traffic. He made short catches. He had yards after a catch. He had the deep strike. And how many times do we say it during the broadcast? The one game that the Bengals had won in the four weeks of play was the one game where Jamar Chase went off against the Rams, week three, 12 for 141. And that's the one victory they got. So as Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase go, so go the Bengals. And I'd love to know just to what degree were there adjustments over the course of the game? To your point, did it was it sort of a moot point because you weren't getting home or enough pressure on Joe Burrow and you can only cover an all-pro receiver for so long? Um, I, I'm, I'm curious how that plays out because week one, they took away Terry McLaurin. Week two, you didn't have a Giants receiver or Darren Waller wreck the game. He had a pretty decent second half. Obviously, CeeDee Lamb didn't wreck the game for Dallas, but the last two weeks, the two best offensive weapons by the opponent 
have had their way. Seven total touchdowns between McCaffrey and Jamar Chase in these past two weeks as far as McCaffrey getting mm. four, wow. Jamar Chase getting three. Wow. And as head coach Jonathan Gannon said post game, and if you have not seen the video, I strongly urge you to go to azcardinals.com and find it because what I'm about to say doesn't do it justice. Gannon was about as upset as I have ever seen him any at any point in his Cardinals head coaching career. But this is what he was said when asked about Jamar Chase. Quote, you can't let their best player beat you, and that's what we just did. That falls solely on me, and we can't let that happen again. Point blank. There's the game on defense. You let their best player beat you. I'm pissed off about it. It's my... And then he swallowed an expletive. Again, go back to the video. It's my fault, and we got to clean that up. Period. He does subscribe to the defensive philosophy, take away what a team does best, and then force them to move on, find the next best player. And without T. Higgins out there, you thought they would probably throw the kitchen sink at Jamar Chase. Once again, maybe they did at times, and it just didn't work. Let's be honest. You don't have a Sauce Gardner. You don't have a Patrick Peterson in his prime. You arguably don't even have a cornerback one on this roster. You'd be better suited to have Marco Wilson as cornerback two and then a Keytrell Clark slash Antonio Hamilton as three four. So if you're telling me that we get to April and May of the 2024 NFL draft and one of those two first round picks is a franchise cornerback, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because you can talk about performance, but at some point you have to talk about personnel. And there's only so much you can scheme up on the sideline, only so many adjustments you can make when you just have superior personnel. And Jamar Chase is one of the top four receivers in the game, period. Not all of this falls on Marco Wilson, but a large chunk of it does fall. But I want to get back to how the game started and seeing Keetrell Clark on the sideline not getting the start. And it's Antonio Hamilton on, on that football field opposite Marco Wilson. Hamilton played 66 defensive snaps. He had played a total of 10 in the first four games. And I believe, without being told anything, based off what the body language was on the sideline, based off when we did see Keytrell on the football field, Paul, I don't think we were going to see Keytrell at all on Sunday. He did not start, came out on the field when Antonio Hamilton left because of an ankle injury, and then left again because he was being evaluated for concussion. And then when Jalen Thompson left the game with a hamstring, that's when Keytrell was back on the field in the second half. But just watching Clark with his helmet on his side, holding it by his side, and just kind of being away from really his teammates in the action. Again, I don't know what had happened, if it was performance-related or something happened during the week, but Keytrell Clark played but only, in my opinion, only play because of injuries to Hamilton and JT. That's a great observation. Obviously, I was down on the sideline. I'm not sure I'd be able, you know, I can't confirm or deny that right now. But if I was down there, I certainly could. Typically, I am. I will say this. I was down there in Santa Clara when Brandon Ayuk had six for 148, and he had catches of 16, 11, 42, 25, 34, and 20. And Keytrell Clark was in coverage for a lot of that. Once again, Brandon Ayuk's pretty dynamic player with blazing speed. Christian McCaffrey definitely, you know, was opening up 
opportunities for other guys in that uh, on that Niners offense. And Brock Purdy didn't have a lot of pass rushers in his face. I get it, but yeah, hey, they're going to hold these players accountable. You know, Kayvon Wallace in that Niners game got a talking to from the head coach more than once. There were a lot of missed tackles in that Niners game. Now Kayvon Wallace, I thought, bounced back, had a nice game. You know, in this last outing, despite the outcome. You know, the flags were a problem in the first half against the 49ers. The head coach got on them at halftime, and they've cleaned that up in a big way the last three quarters of play. So there have been points of emphasis that Jonathan Gannon and the staff make. So far, I've seen pretty good response from this team. They haven't been persistent issues or problems. And if there have been, it hasn't been from a lack of effort. It's more of a lack of talent, perhaps, in losing the matchup battle. But Akeetrol Clark... um, you know what? Antonio Hamilton not only has the experience, but he has the size. We saw him as a sure tackler. He brought some physicality, and uh, he was in the right place at the right time. You know, Keith Charles Clark maybe was biting on some things that would invite in experience for other teams to take advantage of, and Antonio Hamilton's 30-plus years of age. You talk about accountability and holding these players accountable. I'll give Antonio Hamilton credit. He did speak to the media post-game. Darren Urban got him on azcardinals.com. Kayvon Wallace stood before his locker and addressed reporters. Quote, we played below the standard. And I agree with you. I thought Kayvon played real well. Ten tackles, the interception off a deflection, and then that goal line stand, it was his tackle that prevented the score. What we did not hear, though, post-game, Paul... Is from Marco Wilson. And again, full disclosure, I'm on the air doing Cardinal Talk. I was not in that locker room. But I have read enough accounts to kind of paint the picture. There were reporters waiting for Marco Wilson at his locker. And you're very patient. You let the player dress. And then they turn around and answer questions. Well, from my understanding, Marco did not really turn around. He kind of turned to the left and then walked away. No eye contact, no acknowledgement, and left without saying a single word to anyone. I'm sorry, that can't happen. And some fans might not agree with that statement. Oh, you know, you're just in the media. I'm sorry. If you're going to accept the praise and admiration, you also have to, when things don't go well, stand and make sure that, you know what? I didn't perform up to my standards. I need to do better. Totally agree. And we've been in enough locker rooms over enough decades at this point where we've seen both ends. We've seen the guys who will stand there no matter the outcome and answer every single question. I mean, you think over the last few years, you know, how many times did Kelvin Beecham last year as the last man standing as the starting guy in the the offensive line or before that a Corey Peters when a Cardinal season got sideways and he would be the one meeting the media after they gave up 400 yards of total offense. So those kind of guys, you know, they set the standard in the locker room when it comes to accountability. And if you were to use one word about this reset here in 2023, that's the word, accountability. So I'm curious as to what the coaching staff may or may not say to Marco Wilson about that, whether that to them, you know, whether you're available to the media or not is necessarily something they're concerned with. I'm not sure. He's not the first guy to do it. He won't be the last guy to do it. I get it. The frustration, the game, and the emotions are raw. It's very real in the moment. You're only removed from the game for a few minutes, and then all of a sudden the media is in front of your locker. But you're also in year three, and if you're angling for a big contract extension in the near future, this is all part of the assessment process. Where are you as a player? Where are you as a professional? 
And so don't think that everything isn't being evaluated on and off the field. Well, what does J.G. always say? It's team first, you second. Well, in that instance, Marco Wilson put himself first as opposed to his teammates who did speak and say, yeah, we did not play, in the words of Kayvon Wallace, up to the standard against the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, this is a undermanned and less talented defense than the Bengals are and many teams across the league, but no Buda Baker. You lose Jalen Thompson in the second half. No L.J. Collier, Carlos Watkins, Jonathan Ledbetter. So, yeah, this is a defense that continues to take its hits and against a Bengals offense that performed like the Bengals that was in the championship game each of the past two years. Yeah, that's what happens on a Sunday at State Farm Stadium. And again, he's not the first or last guy to do this. Devin Booker himself did not meet the media after the game or on the locker cleanout day the following day after the Suns got bounced from the playoffs by the Denver Nuggets. So it happens. Is it just in the moment, the frustration, and maybe your judgment is skewed? Or does it indicate something else, a a bigger issue? I think in the Suns' case, maybe there was something else going on at hand and there were some trades that were made subsequently that would portend exactly what was going on at the moment. In this case, I think it's just abject frustration and it's a record day by Jamar Chase. And by the time he got to the third touchdown catch, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I think everybody on that defense was ready to hit the exit button. I get it, but there's still a job to be done, to your point, and there's still a way to act after the game because guess what? It's only week five. Cardinals coming up will face Cooper Cup, a returning Cooper Cup, and the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday. Buda Baker has to miss one more game. You hope Jalen Thompson is not missing any time at all. And then the biggest injury that happened on Sunday, Paul, was losing James Conner after a great 35-yard run. The knee gets hit. Gannon said it got tweaked, got twisted a little bit, though he did say he thought Conner would be okay. In fact, James did look okay. (laughs) He got up after that play and was motioning to the crowd, and then later on you see him jog to the locker room. He was back on the sideline with his helmet on watching it, but we never saw him back in the ballgame after that 35-yard run and how much of not having number six on the field factored into that pick six near the goal line or that fourth and one in which Dobbs scrambles. Actually, it wasn't a scramble. It was a designed quarterback run, and he got stopped well short, and they turn it over on downs inside the red zone. Missing James Conner probably factored into both of those plays. No doubt. It changes the identity of your offense. Uh, there, are, there are plays – and then there are players. And when you have certain players, that dictates which play you're going to call. So without James Conner, guess what? It's a different play sheet. You don't have everything at your disposal that you would typically if you have a two-time Pro Bowl running back who's so ultra-physical, who rarely goes down on first contact. And so it was it was sort of bizarre and puzzling at, at times because James Conner was on the sideline, then he got up, and he did, I mean, a spirited jog I mean he was in a serious trot to the locker room okay wait a minute maybe all of a sudden things are clearing up he did that twice over the last three quarters of the game and uh, yet never return and it is a different Cardinals offense there's no question about it and we made the point on the air what Buda Baker is to the Cardinals defense James Conner in my opinion is to the Cardinals offense he is that heartbeat he's part of the DNA He's the guy you can't replace. There's no, you might have a backup of the position, but he's not James Conner. He's not Buda Baker. 
How different would it have been in San Francisco? Buda Baker would have been on that field trying to match up against Christian McCaffrey. And now you're down Buda and Jalen Thompson in that second half. So, of course, they go up top. And Andre Sachere, who I asked the head coach Jonathan Gannon after the game, was that was that a Jamar Chase in a busted coverage or beating coverage? And immediately the head coach said he beat coverage. So if Jalen Thompson is maybe in that situation as opposed to an Andre Sachere, a backup, is there a different outcome? I don't know, but we do know it's not the same side of the ball missing those three guys. And without Connor on the football field, I will give a lot of credit to Imari DiMercato, who was thrust into a role and I believe never has had, at least not on the NFL level, and he's brand new to the league. And he even mentioned when you and Pash had the opportunity to speak with him post-game about the number of carries, and I'm not used to getting that many touches in a game. In fact, 10 carries for 45 yards. He had four carries for a total of three yards over the first four games, and all of a sudden he becomes RB1, not only running the ball but catching the ball as well. But a great touchdown, great blocking by Hollywood Brown to allow DiMercato to get into the end zone for his first career score. So, again, you hope James Conner is not out, period. But now the question is, okay, do you have enough at running back with DiMercato, Corey Clement, who was elevated from the practice squad for the second straight week but saw no action on offense And you do have Damian Williams on the practice squad that was signed ahead of this game. So there you go. I mean, there's there's three guys, none of whom are James Conner. We know that. Amari DiMercato, I thought, was impressive in how patient he was as a runner. There were times where he almost stopped his feet, waited for the blocks to develop, and then stoked it, sort of like what David Johnson once upon a time learned from Chris Johnson, to be patient as a runner. Sometimes, you know, you want to hit that hole ultra quick as fast as you can, but if the blocks aren't there and the bodies aren't being moved, you're going nowhere. So I thought Amari DiMercato, for a rookie, getting his first extended regular season action, showed some good patience. Um, you know, I, but okay. Do the Rams, when they game plan, are they going to pay nearly as much attention to the undrafted rookie versus a James Conner? It, it's going to change what you see if you're Josh Dobbs, what you're going to have to react to in terms of what defense is bringing. We know the Cardinals have led the NFL in play action, right? Is that still the case? If you don't have James Conner out there, are they respecting the play action with Amari DiMercato in the backfield? as opposed to a James Conner. Well, we always hear it, specifically when it's talking about the defense, adapt, and now this offense, how much does it have to adapt without James Conner? Again, here we are speaking on Monday. Maybe we get a little bit more clarity later on this afternoon, or maybe not until Wednesday when the Cardinals return to the practice field. But that is a huge loss, and as you mentioned it earlier, as big a loss to the offense as losing Buda Baker to the defense. No question. And so now, all right... Guess what? Um, do you evolve this offense? You have receivers, you have tight ends. Zach Ertz obviously looked better at the touchdown catch. The exit velocity on Zach Ertz's spike was Barry Bonds-esque. I mean, my goodness. I mean, yeah, there was that was four weeks worth of frustration taken out with some punctuation to that touchdown catch right there. I still like Trey McBride down the field. I still like Trey McBride, who never goes down on first contact. I'd love to get Trey McBride some more targets in space, if you can figure that out. So if James Conner is not available for this Rams game, how much different will the offense look? How much different will the scheme and the play calling? Because we've seen a little bit of everything so far to the credit of a Drew Petzing. You know, we can argue a few of the play calls, especially that one at the end of the first half. And, you know, and yes, if James Conner was out there, I think you probably would have kept it on the ground. 
either way, um, Cardinals do have enough different talent where they can do enough different things. How many times do we see 13 personnel in, in this last game? And even Jeff Swaim had a couple of catches in that first half. You bring up play calling, and that was certainly a topic of discussion on Cardinal Talk. Two plays in particular, and let's talk both of them. At least get your thoughts as well. But the first one is the pick six. And, okay, you're close to the goal line. It's second down. You had used the tush-push to get a little bit more room. Didn't quite work. Again, no James Conner at your availability. So what do you do? Yes, you're going to have your quarterback out of the shotgun. Give him a little bit more time to kind of elude the rush if there is any. I went back because, all right, real time, pick six. All right, where was that ball going? And the game book says Zach Paschal, the intended receiver. Well, we listened to Josh Dobbs post game. No, that was intended for Hollywood Brown. I was like, okay. So I went back, rewatched that play several times last night, Paul. And Dobbs, again, not that I was expecting to see something different, but that was intended for Hollywood Brown. Pascal ran the wrong route. As Gannon told you guys post game, there was a spacing issue. And he got his hand in there and the ball was tipped a little bit. But if you look in the background, Hollywood had a step and a half on the defender. If that pass is completed, not only do you get the first down, but it might have been a huge play. So was the pass deflected by Zach Pascal, or was it deflected at the line? Is that what you're saying? I don't saying? think it was. No, it was not deflected no one touched at the, the line. Pass. No. Okay. So would it have, if not for Zach Pascal, would it have been on target to Hollywood Brown in your estimation? I believe it would have been. Put it this way, I would have loved to have seen it. But you had two receivers, basically one in front of the other, and you can't have that happen, especially that close to the goal line. And you know what? My first reaction was, wow, that was a fastball. I mean, that really came out hot to Zach Paschal. Well, it wasn't intended for Zach Paschal. It was too much and too short a space for him to handle. Well, he wasn't supposed to be in that space. He wasn't supposed to be the intended target. So now you understand why there's a little bit more velocity, a little bit more mustard on that ball because he was trying to get it to the second level, you know, and get it to a Hollywood Brown who was streaking and maybe even might have had a crease or a seam. So, okay, I, I get it. It kind of reminds me, we're doing a folktales right now on Kurt Warner. Sort of reminds me a fateful end of a game in Kurt Warner's career before he had his resurgence, his renaissance with the Cardinals where they lost a game at the very end where Kurt Warner fumbled the ball when they were in field goal range and he took the blame. But guess what? It was the guard who knocked the ball out of Kurt Warner's hand because the guard had a misstep with he thought he was pulling when he wasn't supposed to be, et cetera, et cetera. Kurt Warner never said anything. So in this case, okay, you know, maybe it really wasn't on Drew Petzing. Maybe it wasn't on Josh Dobbs. Maybe it was just an M.E. by a receiver who wasn't supposed to be in the play. Either way, it was incredibly costly. And if there was a turning point in the game, that was it. And Dobbs pulled a Kurt Warner postgame saying it was his fault. Dobbs took all responsibility for all of the turnovers that he had. Three of them, two interceptions, and then the strip sack fumble. All right, the other play call, fourth and one at the Cincinnati 16-yard line. Remember, though, a missed PAT earlier in the half. You're down four. A field goal right there, yeah, pulls you within one. Now, if you don't miss that PAT, do you elect to go for the field goal at the 16-yard line inside the red zone? But you don't have that. You're down four. Again, I have no problem with the decision to go for it. I am not a fan, never have been, of a quarterback out of the shotgun on fourth and short. And specifically, 
because now all of a sudden, as Gannon said, it wasn't one yard, it was a little more than a yard and a half, maybe almost two yards. That's fine. But if you're in a shotgun, now it's fourth and six, fourth and seven. Yep. Why make it more difficult on yourself on a QB design run? If you, again, don't have James Conner, that's fine. Too long for the tush push, that's fine. Then give yourself the option to throw the ball a quick screen or somebody. Get it into the Hollywood's hands or Rondell's hands, anyone else. But I did not like that play call. And you know what? No James Conner times two. First off, you don't have James Conner to hand the ball to. Second off, you don't have James Conner as the decoy. You don't have the misdirection. You don't have the threat of James Conner. Play action fake, Raya, RPO, James Conner, and then you rip it and run it if you're the quarterback. So now it's too easy to key on Josh Dobbs as a primary ball carrier. For example, the game, early in the game against Dallas, he had the 44-yard run, right? Josh Dobbs, well, where'd the defense go? They went with the play fake to James Conner on an inside run. Dobbs ripped it out and then ran it up the far sideline. You didn't have that threat out there. Here's the other thing. I'm with you on the shotgun. Why increase the yardage you have to make on a fourth down? And maybe even more importantly, just in my opinion, if it's a slower developing play, you give the defense so much more time to react, especially a defense that is all amped up, all fired up, right? Hair on fire, it's fourth down, we're going to get a turnover on downs, and then it's a slower developing play, and just like it's tough for corners to stay in coverage with a receiver that long, how long can you hold your block? And it wasn't long before that blo- that blocking broke down almost immediately and Josh Dobbs was tackled for a loss. Yeah, it looked like a linebacker, maybe yeah. even a safety up at the line of scrimmage, basically came in untouched into the backfield, and Dobbs had no chance whatsoever. How, how much time was left in the game at that point again? Where, where was that in the game, where that, that turnover on downs, where they could have had the field goal to make it 24-23? You still had... You're still early in the fourth quarter at that thought. point. So That's it's actually maybe, or even late third quarter. So you you still had a yeah. full 15 minutes to go. So where, yeah, okay, if you want to argue that you kicked the field goal because you still yeah. have a quarter left, I, I'm okay with that. Yeah. But again, I've learned over the years, especially the previous head coach, I'm okay now. And in seeing what the trend is across the league, I'm okay more now than I was maybe five years ago when teams are going forward a lot more on fourth yeah. down. And I get it. You have a new holder. And the extra point wasn't even close. I mean, Matt Prater missed the kicking net. That ball went to the far reaches of the stadium, down by where the field tray enters the stadium, because the kicking net, he missed it. And so something went grotesquely wrong in that point after. You know, the replay didn't seem to indicate anything glaring. The laces weren't in. They were for a moment, then the ball was turned at the last minute. Um, Was the operation slow? You know, the snap, the hold, getting the ball up into place, was that a little slower? And so then all of a sudden Prater hooked it as a result. I don't know. I'm not even sure if Prater, I wasn't in the locker room after the game. I was up in the booth, so I don't know if Prater spoke to the media and there was any sort of explanation that you saw. But that was one curiosity coming out of the game. What happened on the missed PAT? Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear from special teams coordinator Jeff Rogers on Tuesday when he meets the media. But I did not see anything post-game, read anything post-game from Matt Prater. But yeah, what what happened on that because it wasn't just a miss it was a egregious miss and Prater doesn't typically miss bad on kicks so again that's what we saw here on Sunday but obviously there are 
something that we need to do before we exit stage left here, Paul, and that would be the Angry Bird Award winner. And, yeah, sometimes it can be a little bit harder when you lose 34 to 20. But, uh, hey, we have committed to this all 17 games here in 2023. So what do you got? So it goes to the most hellacious play or player. I like the spike from Zach Ertz, the exit velocity. That was a consideration there. Amari DiMercato, uh, definitely worthy of serious consideration. And Antonio Hamilton, Kayvon Wallace. But you know what? I'm going to go with another Pauly Pigskin breakout player of camp. Remember our offensive player, Gree, was Amari DiMercato. Are you and sure? I, you can name and, like six different guys. And, and we narrowed it down before training camp started, Danny Sarek. Okay, we narrowed it down to two, an offensive and defensive. It was Amari DiMercato and Dante Stills going into camp was our Pauly Pigskin breakout defensive player of camp. He didn't play in the opener, but he's steadily got more and more snaps with all the injuries to the D-line. And how about his performance on Sunday in Week 5? He had six tackles. He had two tackles for loss. He had a quarterback hit and his first career sack. And you know what? To come full circle here on Cardinals Cover 2, he also hails from West Virginia. And he knew Dale Wolfley, part of that West Virginia broadcast team for so many years, part of that West Virginia family. And so as a Mountaineer and in honor of Dale, uh, Wolf's beloved younger brother, Soda Pop, uh, we figured it's only fitting to uh, honor him in, in yet another very small way, granted. But uh, we, we, we like calling out the name Dante Stills for all the reasons just cited. Well said, Paul. And while we're on it, to leave on a positive note here, how about the gesture of one Bengals head coach, Zach Taylor? Not only before the game, Kwame Lasseter to the second, out for the coin toss, but then getting Lasseter to come out onto the football field. The game had been decided. I was even curious up in the booth, what are you doing throwing the football? But Pash was right on it, knew immediately what was going on. They got Kwame his first career catch. Taylor postgame, quote, Kwame has been everything that we want to be around. Anytime you can give a player that kind of moment, you want to be able to do that. End quote. Kwame Lasseter's father passed away, former Arizona Cardinal, passed away of a heart attack in 2019. And his son now on that football field. No, Kwame Sr. did not play at State Farm Stadium, but kind of that family moment for the entire Lasseter family, I thought was awesome on the part of Zach Taylor and the Bengals. I mean, how about that? All those members of the Lasseter family in attendance, family and friends. He went to Chandler Hamilton. He was a big star. Went to Kansas, the alma mater of his late father. I think he had like six years at Kansas because of COVID. Came into the league on the practice squad all of last year. There was the preseason game against Cincinnati in 2022. We got to call out Kwame Lasseter the second. He played in that game. But for him to get his first NFL catch in that stadium on Arizona soil, and to do it in front of family and friends, uh, really well done by, by Zach Taylor, no doubt. Book ends to that game. The coin toss, and then one of the final plays of the game. And his dad, rest in peace, Kwame Laster, one of the great all-time Cardinals players and definitely one of the great all-time Cardinals personalities. So gracious, so positive, so energetic and giving Kwame Lasseter thoroughly enjoyed every interaction I had with the late Kwame Lasseter. One of the best to wear that Arizona Cardinals uniform and one of the best, period. And much like Dale Wolfley as well. And again, our thoughts and prayers to Ron Wolfley and the entire Wolfley family. 
We miss you, Warren. We love you and hope to see you real soon back in the booth. And on that note, we'll put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro, our associate producer, Cody Fincher. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.